Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lisa H., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Tennessee. Today is Wednesday, January 20th, 2021, and this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting. Today, we're reading from the big book, and we're on page 31 in the chapter more about alcoholism. We'll be reading the first paragraph that begins, Despite All We Can Say, and reading and comments will be on that one paragraph. Today's readers for the 12 Steps, Sam S., the 12 Traditions, Barb W., readers of the text are Crystal P., Devorah S., Nancy P., our newcomer greeter is Reba P., and our second hour host is Sandy W., and thanks to everyone serving today. The reference numbers for yesterday, Tuesday, January the 19th, 2021, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 16,224. That's 16224. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting, it's 16,225. That's 16225. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sam S. to please read the 12 steps. Thank you. Thanks for leading. This is Sam S. Compulsive Overeater, Rhode Island. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us 
and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Sam S. And I'll now ask Barb W. to please read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, everyone. The 12 Traditions. I'm Barb W., Naperville, Illinois, recovering overeater. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, unless problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks for letting me serve. Thank you, Barb W. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book in the chapter more about alcoholism on page 31, the first paragraph beginning, despite all we can say. Um, We'll be reading and commenting on that one paragraph, and I'll ask Crystal P. to please get us started. Hi, good morning. This is Crystal P., compulsive overeater from Toronto. Despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they are in that class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. If anyone who is showing inability to control his drinking can do the right about face, 
and drink like a gentleman, our hats off to him. Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. When I was um, reflecting on this paragraph, I was thinking back, you know, to my days in the disease, and I realized that I, like, I have the heart and mind of a mad scientist. I have the same hypothesis, the same failed experiment that I kept, you know, testing over and over. And it was, you know, after a long period of not eating my binge foods, can I eat them again without it triggering the allergy? I tried it, you know, I tried all these controlled experiments. Well, okay, we'll abstain for this much time now. Now we'll introduce it this way. Now it will be in this form. You know, um, it will only be at this time. And after all those experiments, you know, uh, it, I, it kept failing. I kept coming back to the food. I kept, you know, coming back to the disease. Um, but I kept experimenting over and over. And I think that by itself would have been okay because after four or five tries, I would have had conclusive evidence, you know, that I can't do that. The problem is the self-deception. That, and I was looking it up. It says, you deny and rationalize the importance of opposing evidence to convince yourself of something. And because of that, I kept running that same experiment over and over. And today I'm so grateful because in recovery, God has removed that desire to experiment with my binge foods completely. I remember once my friends were telling me, you know, you haven't eaten um, anything sugary in so long. I'm sure if you had some of it now, you'd, you wouldn't even like the taste. And it doesn't even matter that that's not even true. I don't even want to find out. God has removed that desired experiment altogether. But what I've realized is I haven't resigned from the experimenting society altogether. Today I have a new hypothesis that I sometimes test, which is how little of my heart can I put into the steps before it starts to affect my recovery. And just recently I, I ran a couple of experiments on this. I would be on Vision for You, you know, scrolling through Amazon. I'd leave my step work to the end of the night, no heart into my outreach calls. You know, uh, I was dishonest at work and I was hiding it from people. And it, within two weeks flat, I was in an intolerable situation filled with self-pity and resentment and discontent and discontentment. And I, you know, got on my knees and I, and I changed it and I came back into program. And after I started feeling better, started doing the same thing again. I have the heart of a mad scientist. And I had to get on my knees and say, God, please remove this desire to experiment with recovery in any way because I don't want to die of this disease. And for today, uh, I've put down my experimenting tools, and um, I'm just following the instructions that I've been given, and I'm very, very grateful for that. Thanks for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Crystal P., for getting us started. And although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your shares to every third day in order that others might share their experience, too. So if you've shared on Monday or Tuesday um, at any of the meetings, if you'll hold back and let others share. And who would like to share on what was read today? Nancy P. Okay. I missed everybody before Nancy P. Linda D. Okay. I have Nancy P., Linda D., Claire, and who else? Dara R. Somebody else. Nessa R. Slomi Hana. Um, okay. Let me go. Okay. So what I heard was Nancy P., Linda D., Claire, and then someone L. Who was that? Dara. Dara L. Thank you, Dara. Dara L. Nessa R. Slomi Hana. You have to give me the last initial. First initial of your last name. Um, well, that looks like a good place to start, unless I missed someone who was at the very beginning. 
Okay. Nancy P., you're up, followed by Linda D. Hi, good morning. Thank you for letting me share. This is Nancy P., recovered in West Newton, Massachusetts, right next to Boston. So this whole chapter is really the second half of step one, that our, and our lives were unmanageable. So as yesterday people were saying, they were sort of picking out um, the words that indicated that it was never going to change. And I have all of them for sponsoring purposes and for when I went through it with my own sponsor, highlighted, you know, ever, inevitably, never, never, every, always, no such thing as, every form of. You know, that means that there's no wiggle room. There's no, you know, there's no way around it. My life is unmanageable, left to my own devices. And I hoped and I wished and I tried, and I hoped and I wished and I tried for my, my whole life from 1971 until 2017. I just hoped and I wished and I tried to somehow make it not be so. And um, I loved what the speaker said, you know, the metaphor with science. I work with scientists and, you know, I say this often, my boss would have some, you know, graduate student or postdoc and they'd be whining and complaining. He'd just look at them and say, show me the data, show me the data. And I'd say that to myself, Nancy, you have the data. Your whole life is an example of why it's never going to change. Why would you think it is ever going to change? And, you know, if I, you know, the whole thing for me was, how am I going to, how am I going to beat this game? How am I going to beat this game? I want to go, I want it to be like water. I want it to take the path of least resistance. I want it to take the easier, softer way. I want it to do anything except what the book said. And I did. Anything what the book says, that's coming up. Here are some of the methods we have tried. But I wanted to do everything except what I was told. And I got absolutely nothing. I got worse than what I had when I did what, unless I did what the book said. And I was incapable of doing what the book said because I didn't surrender. And for me, the hardest part of this whole process was surrender. I won't say that the other stuff wasn't easy. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't comfortable, but it wasn't hard. After I surrendered, even the fourth step was just a lift to help me organize my thinking. It wasn't like, you know, I know what I've done. My, my higher power knows what I've done, and my sponsor didn't care. So as soon as I surrendered, everything smoothed out. And, um, and that was the key. I had, to, I had to admit that my life was unmanageable. And I didn't understand what a freedom that was going to bring me, how, how separated I was going to be from obsession you know, my life has not become manageable, but I don't manage it. So I don't have to worry about it. And, um, you know, I, I can say that things, life happens to me just as much as it ever did, but it doesn't own me anymore. I'm not prey to, you know, flights of, fan, you know, the grouch and the brainstorm. That's not me anymore. I mean, I could be that way, but I, I immediately, as soon as something disturbs what I call my, gives me any mental disquiet, disturbs my serenity, I don't wait, you know, I, I am on the phone immediately and I make sure that I'm on the phone many times during the day to make sure that I'm, you know, preemptively taking care of that. And so my life, I don't care if it's manageable. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about what my neighbor's wearing to go outside in the cold either. I feel the same way. It's not none of my business. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you, Nancy P. And Linda D., you're up, followed by Claire. Hi, everybody. It's Linda D. in Connecticut, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater addict. Same word for me. Um, 
Well, well, well. Um, so why am I here again today? My gosh, I must know something. Not much. Um, I wake up and uh, I don't have to kill myself with food today. I'm not a prisoner between my ears. That's a, from a friend who, who used to say that all the time. Not a, no longer a prisoner between my ears. My ideas don't work. My life fell apart. It fell apart when I was very young. And uh, I found program somehow mysteriously. It's not so mysterious now. But anyway, and I got here and they're talking about God. Oh, gee, I don't want to hear that. Oh, no, no, no. I came here to look good. Anything that got me to the door, I appreciate. But I stayed because I needed a tribe of my own. I needed to belong. I needed to feel loved and safe. And this is the place to feel loved and safe. And if I do the work, the work is the 12 steps and letting all of you help me and helping you, I will learn how to live. So I woke up today and by God, I didn't want to get out of bed. I got to go out there again today. You don't know how crazy it is out there. My life is crap in some ways. Yeah, Linda, if you want a life, you got to plug into your higher power. Thank God there is one. It doesn't originate in me. And it, he, she is loving. Plug in and off we go. And it'll be okay. Just trust. You're talking to an addict. Trust. The hardest thing that I ever have had to learn is to abandon, in other words, trust completely, this higher power. But it exists, he, she, it exists. And it's within as well as without. You call it whatever you want, including a question mark. There's a good start. And you're off to the races. It's a very exciting life. And it's filled with joy here, there, and everywhere. If I only let it be, just shut up, Linda, and do what you've been taught. Thanks. I pass. Thank you, Linda D. And Claire, you're up. If you'll give me the first initial of your last name, followed by Dana L. Thanks, everybody. My name's Claire E. I'm a recovered compulsive eater in the UK. Thank you for hearing me, and thanks for every service. Um, yeah, so this paragraph, um, the first sentence here, yeah, despite all we can say, many who are real are compulsive eaters are not going to believe they're in that class. And this, this just reminds me of, you know, it, 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 it's all the evidence was talked about. I had a sponsor once that said, just look at the evidence, you know. So despite that, you know, hundreds of people telling me that I can't control my eating, I want to believe that I can. You know, and that was what I did for years and years and years um, with the self-deception, you know, that delusion and experimentation. This just smacks to me of my, of my ego. You know, this is just my ego trying to find a loophole somewhere that I don't have to do what, what you have to do. I've got written in my big book here, no one tries OA as their first choice. You know, and I certainly didn't. I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to be in a group. I didn't want to have to be um, following a food plan. I didn't want to have to do certain things every day. I didn't want to have to take the time out of my day to do the suggested things. I didn't want to do any of that stuff. And I did try to delude myself. I tried to eat normally. I tried different food plans. I tried different ways of doing it. I experimented. 
I really related to the first speaker, you know, I've messed about with this program since I've been here trying to find any easier, softer way that I don't have to do what you guys have to do. And, you know, fortunately for me, every single time that's ended up in readouts. And I say fortunately, because that's what it took for me to surrender. And, you know, it's been talked about, you know, when, when there's surrender, um, I'm, I'm reading a bit of Harry Tebow at the moment, and he talks about surrender actually being followed by peace rather than this argument the whole time, this bargaining, this bartering, oh, yes, but I'll do this, but I won't do that. I'll eat that, but I won't eat this. And it's so exhausting. Whereas surrender comes a real peace that's just like, yep, I'm one of the bunch. I'll do what it needs to be done. And, and you know, there are certain things I do every day um, which take me and, and lead me access to my higher power, which means I don't have to eat compulsively. Um, so I really am so grateful for that surrender. And, um, and you know, like it says, surrender isn't a permanent state. I have to keep surrendered. I have to keep in a surrendered um, position uh, for that to be true for me. Um, and then the next bit, you know, so anyone is, and this is very permissive, isn't it? Um, if anyone's showing a inability to control a drinking can do the right about face, then great, good on them. You know, it wasn't my experience, but, you know, it talks about real alcoholics and, and, and I'm a real compulsive eater, but there's also moderate and hard you know, eaters out there and maybe they can stop and, and it's very permissive and, and you know good for them I am um, I work as part of my job in bariatric surgery and um, I was very prejudiced when I first started I thought they were all compulsive eaters kind of um, but actually they're not and lots of people get a lot of relief from that and good for them that wasn't my stuff not my story that's not my experience you know I know I'm a real compulsive eater I can't control anything once I start eating I can't stop and and you know for me surrender is um a part of my life now and thank god it is I don't have to argue I don't have to deceive myself I don't have to experiment anymore I will leave it there thank you for hearing me thank you thank you Claire E and Dana L you're up followed by Nessa R Great. Hi, thanks. This is Dara L. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, and, you know, I, I'm coming back from a relapse. And um, one of the things that really stuck out to me in this paragraph is if anyone who is showing inability to control his drinking can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, or in my case, a lady, our hats are off to him. And my disease is so cunning, baffling, powerful, insidious that this time I, I walked away from OA and it took me, um, I guess, about two and a half years to pick up my alcoholic foods. My thinking was crazy and I didn't realize why I felt so empty and so spiritually bankrupt. Um, but but I, I couldn't, like, I couldn't connect the dots that this program actually has a whole lot more to do with my thinking than with my eating. And so I just thought that as long as I wasn't eating compulsively, I was, you know, I was doing well. I was kind of managing my life. And um, and it also says, you know, every form of self-deception and experimentation, this time the disease came to me in a different form, um, you know, with relapsing into anorexia and restriction before I ever uh, began binging and purging again. And so I thought, like, even though OA is the only thing that's ever worked for me, even though the steps have always removed that peculiar mental twist as long as I keep doing the work, I kept thinking, uh, because relapse happened differently, um, 
you know, and I didn't end up in a in an inpatient treatment center yet again, even though I've been 18 times before. Um, and because I was somehow, you know, I was binging and purging six times a day instead of 12, I kept thinking, oh, I'll be able to control this. I'll be able to get back. I'll be able to manage. And I think the progressive part of this disease isn't always behavioral. It's emotional. It's spiritual. It's waking up every day and wanting to die, for me anyway. And so, um, this is, it's hard. It's hard to come back and it's hard to surrender um, again, even though I have a massive amounts of evidence, decades worth of evidence um, telling me that I can't, you know, I can't do it. I can't do it. And, um, and I do know that it's so much easier to stay stopped than to get stopped. And I know someone said that, like many, many people have said that to me over the years. And I always think, um, you know, oh, well, that only applies to you. But um, anyways, I'm really grateful that somewhere inside of me, there was a shred of willingness to come back to these programs and commit my food and weigh and measure and, and, and work like my, my butt's on fire because it's, it, it is a life or death issue for me. And it's, it's really, really hard um, in the beginning. So grateful to be back. Thank you. Um, and I'll pass. Thank you, Dara L. And Nessa R., you're up, followed by Shlomi Khanna. Hi, good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. And I must say that I'm always baffled when I hear that people uh, wanted to be normal eaters. I, I never, ever wanted to be a normal eater. I could never relate to a normal eater. Um, you know, the best example for me was um, when I was in, in university, my, my uh, late teens, early, early 20s, I had a, a best friend who lived with her parents um, near, near the university, near the dorms, and I would sleep over very often, and we would order an extra large loaded pizza just for the two of us. And um, it, it was during my, my binging and purging stage of my disease so I could eat a lot like I could have eaten that two of those and she would eat a slice and say um, I don't want any more you know I want to leave some for breakfast and, and I was like who does that like who, who does that like you just finish it off you know so of course I was obligated to stop and um, and uh, breakfast came, and she would do the exact same thing. She would have a slice, and, and I, I just like boggled my mind. And I would say I endured that torture till the end of my university years. Um, it was just mind-boggling. Who wants to eat like that? I want to eat it all, and then you know, for breakfast we'll get something else, you know. Um, but uh, now, um, forward quite a few decades after that. Um, I have found recovery, you know, being recovered for nine years in the same uh, um, body size, normal body size, a size six for the past nine years. Um, and often I um, order a pizza delivery from my, for my uh, family's favorite store uh, when they have a, a deal like buy one, get one half price kind of thing. And what I do is I, I break it into slices and I freeze it for them to have, you know, for meals, for snacks, or whatever. And it doesn't even call to me. I can handle it. I don't want to smell it. I don't want to lick my fingers. It's just food. And, you know, like that transformation could not have happened, um, you know, without the work that my sponsor made me do 
first of all, you know, putting down my food entirely, identifying what are my trigger foods, my trigger ingredients, my trigger behaviors with a, a very well-developed, I guess, questionnaire exercise, and then taking it to the steps uh, really quickly um, so that I wouldn't be tempted uh, to pick up because while I'm working the steps and I'm not yet recovered, it is very uncomfortable to be entirely abstinent. So, so he really, she really took me uh, through very quickly and I, and I recovered. And now I'm a free woman, you know, um, I, I, I don't obsess about food. I don't think about food. I can handle uh, things that used to trigger me in the past. I can be in their presence. I can be in those stores. And it's just Time. so totally neutral. Thank you. It's it, what a change. And now I am a normal eater. The one thing I never wanted to be, now I'm a normal eater. And uh, I'm so grateful. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Nessa R. And Shlomi Kana, if you'll give me the first initial of your last name, please share. Thank you. Uh, Shlomi Kana B, like boy. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you, everybody, for being on this line. I'm Shlomi Kana B in Philadelphia. And there are two words that are sticking out to me in this paragraph, and that is self-deception and experimentation. And boy, that is so true of me. When I was in relapse not too long ago, um, I tried so many different ways to prove that I did not have to do program and that I could, you know, that I could be a different kind of an eater, a different kind of a person. I could have a different kind of experience. You know, I tried uh, intuitive eating. I tried being a moderate eater. I convinced myself as a moderate eater. I, I was working with a coach and using the 301 method, you know, three, three meals a day, nothing in between, one day at a time. But I could eat whatever I wanted as long as I ate moderately and I did not eat anything in between. And, I, man, I tried that. And um, I tried working in a big book program that doesn't believe in the allergy of the body and, um, you know, and, and no food plan, but that the, but the, the disease is going to lift once I worked the steps and surrendered. And, you know, every single one of those failed. And as a matter of fact, it was that last program that I talked about where I was told that I was ready to sponsor, I was recovered. Meanwhile, I was binging my brains out, and my binges became worse and worse and worse and relapsed. Um, I was binging on food. I was binging on movies. I was staying up all night. And I remember thinking to myself, how on earth am I recovered? How is this recovery? This is not recovery. And it was at that point that I sat with a former sponsor of mine, and she really guided me and said, you know the answer in your core. And she was right. And the truth is, is that when I was doing all this experimentation, all this self-deception, I don't know about you guys, but I really cannot lie to myself deep down. I can try. I can try. And boy, I tried and I've tried lots of times. But I always know the truth because God puts the truth in me. 
And I knew, I really knew the whole time that none of these things I was trying was going to work. I knew it. And I knew what I needed to do. And thank God, I finally surrendered and went to a program that is very structured. Because for me, I need structure. I have to have that structure and the discipline. And um, I'm so grateful. So grateful to not be in experimentation anymore. So grateful to not be in self-deception anymore. Because you know what? All that brought me was misery. And it wasn't the truth. And I'm so grateful that a dear, dear friend really helped me accept what the truth was and that I accepted it. And now my life is just so much better because of this program. So many miracles that would not have happened, that were not happening because I was blocked. And I'm grateful to be unblocked. That'll pass. Thank you, Slomikana B. And before I take another list of people that like to share, just a reminder, we're in Chapter 3, more about alcoholism, on page 31, the first paragraph, despite all we can say, and comments will be on that one paragraph. So who else would like to share this morning? Ross M. Ross M. Heidi L. from Toronto. Heidi L. Deborah V. from New Jersey. Deborah V. Katie F. Katie F. Anybody else? Okay. So I've got Russ M., uh, Heidi L., Deborah V., and Katie F. So Russ M., please share with us. Good morning. Thank you for taking the meeting. Russ M., Recover Compulsive Reader outside of Philadelphia. So self-deception and experimentation. When I hear that, I think of what denial I was in for about 40 years, uh, that it really wasn't a disease. I was ignorant of it. I'm not giving myself a pass. It just, now I know, you know, now I know. But the experimentation, I was like Dr. McFailure, you know, the bodybuilder, biochemist, the the nutritionist and you know I'm a chiropractor I know nutrition I studied the pathways of the body yet I can never apply it to myself you know when I look at this paragraph more than anything it was my pride it was my pride over 45 40 years that I knew everything I I was in, in Italian we say they stood with a hard head I had such pride that I could figure this out by myself, and it was ultimate failure every time. The pills, the diet, the workout, all the everything that everybody is saying. Sorry to be uh, repetitive. It, the best thing that ever happened to me is that it, it, I, I lost everything. You know, you, I, I fell on my face, and it hurt, and the pain, and the anguish that I went through. And then I admitted it when I had to look at myself in the face and say, you're a junkie. You have no control over this. Nothing that you think that you know, any money you're going to use to buy a program or anything in your mind that you think you know, it's not going to save you. Didn't do it for 40 years. It's not going to do it now. 
And um, I just lost my train of thought, but that's, that's the, the, the gist of it, that my pride was in there, but I had to be broken and not just humble, but humiliated. So I could accept, I had to be desperate and I had to be able to accept help. And, you know, I'm just a regular junkie, man. And the bottom line is that the thing that hurts the most, more than anything, when I read this paragraph with this experimentation, it's not I lost money or I gained weight and I went up and down in my relationships. All those things could be restored for, for the most part. But the time I wasted trying to be an investigative reporter, you know, figuring things out. I wasted a crap load of time. But, and, and hey, there's hope because if, if I can be restored to some semblance of normalcy, I'm a normal guy. I ain't, I ain't hitting, it, hitting it out of the park. I'm just doing what I have to do in life. Everybody got a chance. So without God, the 12 steps and you guys, I would have uh, So that means about pretty much nothing. So love you. And thanks for, uh, Thanks for letting me share. I appreciate everybody. Thanks for your share, Russ M. And Heidi L., you're up, followed by Deborah V. Hey there, I'm Heidi. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I just want to say to all of you, thank you. Um, I've been listening in for the last little while. And sometimes when I hang up at the end, I just feel like, hmm, you should have shared. So I'm just saying hello, that I'm grateful that most days when I check on the line, there's like 450 people on this line. So I'm saying to all of you, thank you for being here. I'm also saying that there's no um, accident that I started listening live to A Vision for You, and I got abstinent. I don't know. I mean, I do know how it happened. It happened with willingness and with my higher power. Uh, March 1st, I'm going to have a year. Um, I had pretty yucky relapse and with this program and not listening to you guys every single day at all um frequent every once in a while and then work came back and now i'm no longer having to go in so i'm just i'm grateful to all of you and that's pretty much all i need to share and thank you all for being here thank you heidi l and deborah v you're up followed by kbs Hi, good morning, Deborah V, as in Victoria, from New Jersey. Thank you, everyone, for your shares. Um, great paragraph and great, sh- uh, great reading this morning. For me, I experimented to the point where I landed myself in the hospital, not understanding, again, why eating this or that um, would cause me such pain, such... Um, obsession, such, you know, almost like robotic repeated behavior that I couldn't control no matter how I tried. Um, You know, like many of you, every diet imaginable, every attempt at solutions that just didn't work. And more importantly, the despair, the isolation, the self-loathing that I felt was incredible. Um, And I you know, tried to be like a normal eater. If people were eating things that I wanted to eat, I thought I could. And if time passed, I thought I could do it again. Um, I think what's come to pass for me by the grace of this program is the fact that I 
I don't know when it kicked in, but I guess God just interrupted. Um, but he, you know, God helped me see that it wasn't about this physical obsession that I had with weight and food. And once I was able to really see through that cloud of deceptive thinking um, and not use OA as a diet club, but in fact, for the steps <laughs> that it was intended to give me, I was able to find not only abstinence, but a life beyond my wildest dreams. I never thought I could get through a day without obsessing or eating a food that was, you know, tickling my fancy at the moment. Um, but putting down the food was the mere beginning. And what came after was really all of the gifts of not only physical recovery, but emotional recovery and a spiritual recovery and an introduction to a power that was going to guide my days. So for those of you who are still sick and suffering and listening, you know, keep coming back. It works. And, you know, my only suggestion as was given to me was, you know, to follow the directions in that book. Such a simple solution, but so difficult for me to do over and over again. But I know that if I, um, if I followed the directions of the people before me, um, I know that everyone else can as well. And I hope grace for you today and love and light. Thank you. And I pass. Thank you, Deborah V. And KDF, you're up. Good morning. This is KDF, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And I, I love this, this um, paragraph, the part where it says, drink like a gentleman. Um, that's what I was trying to do for so many years was to drink, to drink, to eat like other people. And I thought that if I just, um, you know, gave myself a little bit and tried to mimic what other people were doing, that it would work and it never worked. And I, I didn't want to believe that I was um, a real compulsive overeater, even though I was in OA, even though I had been dieting since I was nine years old. And it, it doesn't make any sense, but that's the reality. I was in OA and I was going to lots and lots and lots of meetings for many years. Um, and it got worse, never better. It got worse because I, my disease had to progress to where there was nothing about my eating that resembled um, a normal person. And But when I was in these meetings, we pretty much skipped to chapter five, how it worked. And I really didn't understand um, what is taught in this chapter that I have a mental obsession and an allergy of the body. I didn't understand that I could never eat any form of these foods that were triggers for me. And I also didn't understand that I could ever get to a position of neutrality. I thought that that was just the way my life was going to be, that I would always want, that I would always be secretly longing for the food that other people were eating. And that if I was abstinent, I would basically be miserable um, because I would be missing those foods. Now, I did have some years of not eating sugar, but I was always mimicking. I was always trying to, to have substitutes that, you know, looked like sugar items and, and all that kind of thing. And I just didn't even know that I could possibly be completely neutral with the food. And it wasn't until I found... Um, 
these rooms where they talked about total surrender and total abstinence that I was able to move past that and to work the steps and to come out the other side with complete neutrality. And, you know, I'd love to say that I did exactly this certain thing, but that's where God comes in. God did for me what I could not do for myself. And I can't give that to someone else. I can give them the tools that I use. I can give them the methods that I use and, and hope that God will come in for them too. But I know he will. I really, I believe that for other people. I believe that we can all hit bottom, that the bottom can be raised to wherever you are, that you don't have to wake up one more day picking up the food. Even if you've already picked up the food today, you don't have to finish today in the food. And that's a promise that we can give you because we have recovered and it works. It really does. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, KBS. And again, we're sharing um, from page 31, the first paragraph, beginning despite all we can say, sharing on that one paragraph. And it looks like we have time for three or four more people to share. Who would like to share? Jason Kay. Jason, I think it was Jason Kay. Anita, Anita L. Anita L. I have Jason K and Anita L. Anybody else? Katie T. Katie T. All right. Well, let's let's go with those unless there's someone else who's burning to get on the list. I have Jason K, Anita L, and Katie T. Jason, please go ahead. Did I get that wrong, Jason K, star one? There we go. Sorry, I thought I just hit it. Jason K, recovered compulsive eater and bulimic from outside of Philadelphia. And this is an interesting paragraph, and, and sometimes I, I learn and, and see things clearly in hindsight. You know, if you would have talked to me, um, you know, I have about three years of abstinence. You know, so four years ago, if you would have said, oh, Jason, you know, are you losing weight right now? Or are you on a diet? And I would have told you, yes, I'm, I'm losing weight. I'm, I, I'm on a diet. But I, I wouldn't have been, been able to really tell you what, a, what my goal weight was. I wouldn't have necessarily been actually losing weight. But I had this sort of weird delusion that uh, I was just about to get a hold on this thing. I was just about to get it under control. And, and every day I would be kind of swearing to not eat compulsively. And then failing and then kind of, you know, getting frustrated and maybe listening to a meeting and thinking about all these tools. Um, uh, but, but, you know, inevitably just going back into the food. And, you know, this delusion, uh, this idea trying to prove to myself, you know, wondering, I would wonder often, you know, am I a compulsive eater? Am I really, you know, and I go to a meeting and I look around and I say, Oh, in order to share, you need to say this first. I'm a compulsive eater. And then I'd share. And then I'd be, you know, driving home and thinking, am I really? And, and, I, and part of me just didn't want to admit it. And part of me just didn't want to be a part of this club because I didn't see real freedom in recovery. I didn't see people who were, um, you know, really happy, joyous, and free uh, that I wanted to emulate and be like necessarily. So part of me just didn't want to belong. Um, so this is a paragraph, for, if you're reading it, if 
you're wondering, uh, you know, ask yourself based on your own experience, you know, go back in your history and look at how you look at your relationship to food. Uh, once you start eating certain foods, are you able to stop eating those? And if you start eating those foods, are you able to predict when uh, when you're going to stop eating? You know, for me, a cheat meal turns into a cheat month or three, uh, and, and things go down so quickly. I don't have power over my alcoholic foods. I can't stop. And even when I stopped, I couldn't stay stopped. I was always uh, irrevocably drawn back into those foods. So this is why we need a higher power. This is why we need these 12 steps on uh, without a Thank you, Jason K. And Anita L., you're up, followed by Katie T. Good morning. This is Anita L. from outside of Philadelphia. It's that kind of a day. I guess it's a Philadelphia day today. Uh, you know, there there was silence, and I thought, okay, just press star one, just unmute and say you'll share. Because I do have a message of recovery. I, I feel like... Uh, you know, I'm one of the miracles that God loved enough, first of all, to bring me to this program. You know, that was a miracle in itself. Not everybody gets the 12 steps. And because all of us are on this line today, we all have the possibility of living a life beyond our wildest dreams. And I can say that... Uh, Yesterday was such a day filled with peace because I've been working my program so hard lately um, for a while. And, you know, I've been doing things for a while, but really working and surrendering and service and just giving service and, you know, and trudging, just trudging when it's not easy to stay abstinent, praying, asking God, please help me, please carry me. And oh my goodness, who would have known that God was the answer to my freedom from the obsession of food and that I could live really happy, joyous, and free without, like somebody just shared, uh, without having to eat those trigger foods. I don't want them right today. I feel that I said to somebody yesterday, I love my food plan. You know, I feel really good. I love my my uh, food scale because it brings me freedom. I remember I said this to her yesterday, was a newcomer, that I remember in a step one meeting, sharing, I just can't. I can't weigh and measure. I can't. It makes me go back into diet mentality. And somebody came up to me at the end of the meeting and said, act as if. Just act as if because on the other side is freedom. And so being a good girl that I am, I followed direction and I acted as if. And a short time later, I began to feel that freedom, and it grew and grew. And, oh, my goodness, I just, I'm so grateful to my higher power, to these beautiful 12 steps, 
to the co-founders of AA and all the others involved, and Roseanne Lesserhart, and all of you, and the people in Vision. I've been listening for eight years now, and, you know, in the beginning, you gave me the message that I needed to hear, and you gave me the hope that if you can do it, I can do it too. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Anita L. And Katie T., please share with us. Share with us. You'll be our last share for today. Uh, this is Katie T., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in South Carolina. Uh, yeah, the piece about, you know, having this illusion that someday we could be normal eaters or normal drinkers, as the big book says, um, I... I wanted to eat uh, like a lady, right? Because ladies ate slowly with small bites and they um, didn't rush through their food and they didn't uh, eat massive quantities either. I remember I had a friend who, when we would go out to lunch together, he would eat you know, very slowly, take small bites. And I thought, honestly, I thought to myself, she's trying to one-up me by making her meal last longer than mine, which will make me look bad. So I would take, this is so sick, I would take little tiny bites and really space them out because I could do that for a short period of time in front of someone else. And I want, it was like I was playing a game and I was going to win that game. I was going to show her that she couldn't uh, out-lady like me, I guess is the word I would use. And, you know, that... I could keep that kind of front going for a while, but then as soon as I went home after that game I played that she wasn't even playing, but I was putting it on her that she was, I would go home and binge my head off. I mean, I would stuff myself full just constantly. And I would hide everything about that from other people. And even going through the check stand with my groceries, I was sure that the checker was judging me, and maybe he or she was, judging me for the kinds of foods that I had. So I always threw in some healthy foods with it, like some oranges or something. So it would, And those would probably rot in the refrigerator before I got to them. But, you know, this, this sense that there was anything that could be done, I, I had in my head that, that someday, somehow, there would be a magical something, a pill, a solution therapy. I went to therapy over and over and over and over again for probably 50 years, hoping that I would find this answer. And in the midst of that, I was also going in and out of OA. But I never got to the point where it was any more than me wanting to be thin and me being really excited and feeling like, boy, I got it now when I lost weight and wasn't binging. And it always fell apart. And when I came to South Carolina three years ago, a little over three years ago, and found meetings where people were talking about a vision for you, and I hooked into this uh, big book way of working things, everything shifted. And um, I don't eat like a lady anymore. I eat like a normal human being who, who eats food. And I love my food. I'm still a foodie. I still I love the foods that I'm allowed, the natural I'm- taste. I, it's it's been so good. So hang in there. It can happen. And uh, that's all. I'll pass. 
Thank you, Katie T. And thank you to everyone who shared this morning. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today, Wednesday, January 20th, 2021, 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 16,230. That's 16230. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Devorah S. Please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi. Good morning, everyone. My name is Devora S., and um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past, Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.